So I'd like to continue with and conclude my little theme, which has been the, um, the, the dawn of awakening. And um, the last of the seven qualities that I've been speaking about um, is careful attention, the accomplishment in careful attention. And I'll begin once again with a verse from the Magha Samyutta. This one says, Bhikkhus, this is the forerunner and precursor of the rising of the sun, that is the dawn. So too, Bhikkhus, for a Bhikkhu, this is the forerunner and precursor for the arising of the Noble Eightfold Path, that is, accomplishment in careful attention. When one is accomplished in careful attention, it is to be expected that one will develop and cultivate this Noble Eightfold Path. And how does one who is accomplished in careful attention develop and cultivate the Noble Eightfold Path? Here one develops right view, which has as its final goal the removal of lust, the removal of hatred, the removal of delusion. And then it's the same for right thought, right action, right speech, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness. And one develops right concentration, which has as its final goal the removal of lust, the removal of hatred, the removal of delusion. It is in this way that one who is accomplished in careful attention develops and cultivates the Noble Eightfold Path. So the focus today is going to be on careful attention. The previous qualities and accomplishments that we discussed was um, good friendship, the accomplishment in virtue, the accomplishment in self, the accomplishment in view, the accomplishment in desire, and the accomplishment in diligence. So now when we look at the accomplishment in careful attention, yonisomanasikara sampada, we might wonder, well, what does this mean? Bhikkhu Bodhi translates this as the accomplishment in careful attention. Bhikkhu Sujata uses the term proper attention. I've seen other translations of, of Yoniso Manasikara as wise attention, right attitude, appropriate attention, wise reflection, systematic attention, and the wise use of the mind. Manasikara means usually attention. Manas, it comes from the combination of manas, which is mind, and kara, which is derived from karoti, which means an action or to do. So it might literally mean mind action or actions of the mind or what we do with the mind, how we apply our mind, how we use our mind. Yoniso refers to womb pointing to the origins, the causes, the conditions for experience. So it implies a broader perspective than just knowing a sensation is arising now, or this is a sound, or I am sitting here thinking. Careful attention comprehends the experience that's occurring in a context of causes and effects. It underst- it, this yonisomanasikara, this wise attention or careful attention or proper attention is the giving of attention to things in a way that comprehends the conditionality. Not only what is occurring right now, but how it came to be, what it arose in dependence upon. 
And we also see where it is leading, the effects that our attention, the effects of the way we are engaging with that experience, what effect is that having on our experience, on the conditionality. So we're really looking at the question here of how do we relate to experience? In the Dhammapada, it says, whatever harm an enemy may do to an enemy or a hater to a hater, an ill-directed mind inflicts on oneself greater harm. And I think as meditators, we look diligently at the way we direct our minds. Yoni Somanasikara supports the ability to know which things and issues and perceptions are worthy of our attention and which ones are better left ignored. We learn how to direct our attention for optimal results. Perhaps when we give our attention to some perceptions, we find that there is an increase in wholesome states. We give our attention in a certain way, and our mindfulness and our concentration and our insight and our understanding and our wisdom and our kindness and our compassion to develop. But we might also find there are some times when we give our attention to something and that it seems to reinforce and perpetuate the hindrances and the habitual defilements. As you observe a variety of your experiences, you notice when you notice when and how you relate in wise and skillful modes, and when the quality of the attention, the way you meet and engage with the experience, the perspective from which you know it, actually is harmful or perpetuating the habits. For example, many meditators have to work with thoughts for a significant period of their um, meditation practice. When is it useful to notice the content of the thoughts? And when is it more useful to not give any attention to the content, or for that matter, much to the arising of the thought, but to look very quickly at the emotional state that arises along with the thought, or arises, seems to be conditioned by the thought? And when does ignoring certain thoughts and certain perceptions seem to make matters worse by allowing um, habitual defilements to continue unseen? And when is it better to focus directly on that process, kind of expose it and see it? Sometimes when we don't give attention to something, the defilements grow because we're not bringing our mindfulness to it. But sometimes when we give our attention to it, the defilements grow because we are attending them, attending to them without proper attention. There is a way of giving our attention that starves them of their fuel. So there isn't a right or wrong answer about how to work with thoughts. We notice what happens when we apply our attention. What is the effect and result? And when we see what happens, we make the adjustments so that we keep correcting or improving the carefulness and clarity of our attending. 
We learn to guide our own meditative development by learning to apply our minds wisely. There are many possible ways to relate to any perception that might arise. For example, no doubt we've all experienced some painful sensation in the meditation practice. So we're sitting here and some part of our body starts to throb. Okay, what happens next? Do you worry? Oh no, this is going to lead to this, this, and the other, and I'm going to end up needing to see this. You seek this remedy and see that doctor and end up with surgery, and, and you follow through all the anatomical and structural issues related to the pain, and you know, 20 minutes later you're planning um, how you're going to be recovering from the surgery and who's going to be taking care of you. So it can really proliferate out from what might have felt like a, um, what might have actually been a momentary sensation that arose and passed away. Sometimes we perceive the changing sensations at the level of the material reality. We just feel a, a, a bit of pressure, a moment of heat, a bit of cold, a, a split second of hardness or of roughness. Sometimes we develop equanimity very consciously by deciding to just observe the arising and passing of the unpleasant feeling without moving. So we almost make a vow to not move, to squirm this one away, but to take it as our equanimity practice and to just see it changing. Sometimes we try to find emotional support or physical comfort or some kind of relief. And sometimes that's done in a skillful way. And sometimes we just distract ourselves from the pain through shifting to pleasant fantasies. Sometimes we bring in kind of a tough attitude, you know. I'm going to endure this. And we just grit our teeth until we decide we have endured it for whatever length of time we decided we should endure it. And sometimes... We move away from it, sometimes uh, in an unskillful way, through anger or aversion or pushing away, or through fantasizing about something pleasant. And sometimes we turn away from it in a rather skillful way, where we shift to the development of loving kindness or compassion, um, a practice that might be able to meet and hold the pain with greater softness and ease. How do we decide how we relate to that pain? We need wisdom to determine what, what is skillful to apply our attention to and how to apply our attention most skillfully. In the Samyutta Nikaya, in the Nidana Samyutta, it says, when one dwells contemplating gratification in things that can be clung to, craving increases. With craving as condition, clinging comes to be. With clinging as condition, existence. With existence as condition, birth. With birth as condition, aging and death. Sorrow, lamentation, pain, displeasure, and despair come to be. Such is the origin of the whole mass of suffering. And then it uses the simile that imagine there's a great bonfire that's burning. And somebody comes along and puts in more dry grass, dry cow dung, and dry wood into it. 
it'll flare up even more. That's what happens when we dwell contemplating gratification in things that can be clung to when craving increases. If you apply your attention to something and the defilement increases, in some way you are adding fuel to the fire. How are you doing that in your attention? What are you adding to the situation that actually flares up and fuels the defilements? Alternatively, when one dwells contemplating danger in things that can be clung to, craving ceases. With the cessation of craving comes the cessation of clinging. With the cessation of clinging, cessation of existence. The cessation of birth, aging, death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, displeasure, and despair cease. Such is the cessation of the whole mass of suffering. And the simile now is also of a great bonfire. But somebody does not add more fuel to it, does not toss more grass on it, does not toss dry wood or dry cow dung. Then, when the former supply of fuel is exhausted, that great bonfire, not being fed with any more fuel, lacking sustenance, would be quenched. So too, when one lives contemplating danger and things that can be clung to, craving ceases. Such is the cessation of the whole mass of suffering. I think as meditators, we have to always be attentive to and reflect upon how our attention not only meets our experience, but the effect that it's having. First of all, when are you mindful and attentive of your experience, and when are you not? What happens when you are mindful? Does, do the hindrances fade away, or do they persist and flare up? If unwholesome states persist in the face of apparently being mindful, then I'd say your attention is not imbued with sufficient wisdom. And that quality of mindfulness really needs to bring in a little bit more clear comprehension, a little bit more wisdom, satipanya, mindfulness and wisdom. As our attention develops, we'll discover ways to attend to experience that not only recognize this is presently arising, but have the effect of cooling the defilements, like sprinkling cool water on a fire. The mind will will become calm and settle down. So we have to notice the effect that our mode of paying attention is actually having on our habitual tendencies. Because sometimes we think we're being mindful of the experience, but we're not really being mindful of the experience. We're attending to the experience in the sense that we are knowing generally what's happening, but we're bringing so much identification and craving into that that it is not yonisomanasikara. It is not careful attention. It is not proper attention. It's actually um, attention, you know, if, uh, infused with the defilements. If we look to see what the effect of is, then we will quickly learn what careful attention is and what careless attention is. Is our attention contributing to the eradication of defilements or to the perpetuation of defilements? 
Are you sitting here noting or noticing, judging, 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 thinking, 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 aversion, aversion, aversion? But in the way that you're judging the judging, or in the way that you're noting the judging, you're judging the judging. You're averse to the aversion. Or just sitting here thinking about the many ways that your mind likes to think. For meditation to be effective, we must apply the meditating mind properly, carefully, wisely. Without the ability to use our minds wisely, we will remain slaves to our conditioned patterns, entangled in mental obsessions. And so I'll end with the verse from the Itivutaka. For a practitioner who is a learner, there is no other thing so helpful for reaching the highest goal as the factor of wise attention. Enjoy your practice today.